Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed, from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those who he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boagenerus, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, whom betrayed him. I have a bit of a trick, by the way, guys. I ask people to read and then I tell them what the passage is. So well done, Lottie, for tackling all of those names. And thank you for saying yes, even once you realise what the passage was. Well, we're working our way through uh, Mark's Gospel. If you haven't got one, uh, we have got copies of Mark's Gospel at the back there, which you can write in and you can journal in. And they're, they're great little resources for you to be able just to look back and see what the Lord's been teaching you through this series. We're really working through slowly. We're going to take a few years to take our time through Mark's Gospel. And we've seen that really in, in these last few chapters the, the interest around Jesus growing and building. And as we come to this passage in Mark chapter 3, the, the popularity for Jesus is, is reaching new heights. And Mark is deliberately throwing all of those difficult names and places in at this point to give us a picture and to help us to understand how extensive the interest in Jesus has become. So we've seen over the last few weeks, his ministry has been relatively confined to this one town of Capernaum, a small town of just a few hundred people, and then it started to spread into Galilee. And now, Mark tells us in chapter 3, it is, it's spreading to, to a point where people from all sorts of places are coming to see Jesus. All sorts of places, and, and from those places, all sorts of people are coming to see Jesus. They're coming from Galilee, they're coming from Judea, they're coming from Jerusalem. These are all Jewish regions. And then Mark tells us they're coming from Tyre and Sidon. These were Gentile places. So the interest in Jesus is not only from his own people now, now it's spreading into the Gentile areas. And Adumia, that was a, a multicultural, multi ethnic area. And Mark is helping us see just in these first few verses, just with this, this scattergun of all these names, he's helping us see that Jesus and the gospel that Jesus brings is for all people. It's for all people. And I'm just going to jump straight in there. Our first point that we're going to draw from the passage this afternoon is this, anyone can come to Christ. Anyone can come to Christ. And don't miss this, folks. Mark is revealing the real Jesus to us. We've seen that, haven't we, over the last few weeks. Like That is Mark's intention to, to reveal to us who Jesus really is. Because we all come with our own ideas of who Jesus is. 
And Mark's audience had their own ideas and Mark is saying, no, this is the the eyewitness accounts of who Jesus is, what he did. And what we see here, what we see Mark revealing in revealing Jesus to us and revealing his gospel to us, he is showing that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what education you have. Folks, it doesn't matter how broken you feel that you are as you walked in those doors this afternoon. It doesn't matter what sin you are carrying. We see it here in this passage and we see it all the way through the Gospels. Anyone can come to Jesus. Anyone can come to Jesus. And just like the people that Mark mentions here in chapter 3, the people who've travelled from all of these different places, hear this. He is worth coming to. Jesus is worth coming to, folks. Tyre and Sidon, the two Gentile places that Mark mentions there in verse 7, they were somewhere near 100 miles north of Jerusalem and Judea, the places that Jesus is travelling. That's a long distance. That's a long distance for us, isn't it? In kind of our modern civilization, back then there was no Uber. There was no air-conditioned megabus that you could jump on. Like a hundred miles was a hard journey. An arduous journey would have taken days for these people to get there. And they go out of their way to get to Jesus because he is worth the journey. And maybe even some of us have come in this afternoon and we're asking ourselves that question, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And the barrier for you in terms of coming to Jesus, it might not be a geographical barrier like these folks had. It might not be that there's hundreds of miles separating you and Jesus. But maybe the barrier between you coming to Jesus and putting your faith in him for salvation, maybe the barrier for you is one of reputation. You don't want to put your faith in Jesus because you think it's going to affect your reputation. People might think less of you. Or maybe the barrier for you in coming to Jesus and putting your faith in him, maybe it's one of family. Maybe your family are going to look at you in a certain way and maybe cut you off or treat you in a different way and it's just not worth it so so you're not coming to him. Maybe for you the barrier between you and Jesus is you you know it's going to have to change your lifestyle if you put your faith in him. You know that there are certain things that you are able to do that if you come to Jesus, you're going to have to let go of. That Jesus is going to say to you, no, put that away. Friends, he's worth it. He is worth it. And we've seen already in Mark's gospel lots of reasons why he's worth it. And we get another one here in our passage from this afternoon. And it's this. The reason that he is worth it, the reason that it's worth the journey, the reason that it's worth laying down all of those things that that are preventing you from coming to him and putting your faith in him. The reason that we see here in this passage is this. It's because he gives us a new identity. Jesus gives us a new identity and it's it's an identity that we desperately need. He gives us a new name. And it's a new name that we desperately need. When we put our faith in Jesus, that's what happens. We get a new name. We get a new identity. I wonder if you can remember, just cast your mind back. It's not too long for some of us. And some of us, it's, it's still a reality when you're in the classroom at school. 
And the teacher stands at the front in school at the start of the day, and I guess after lunch, if they still do it, they come before the class and they have a, a register, right? And they go through the register and the register has your name on it somewhere. It's alphabetical and they'll, they'll start going through the register. And as they, they go through, they call out the names. Fernando, hear miss. Helen, hear miss. Sean, hear miss. Andy, hear miss. And they go through the register and they call out your name one by one. Well, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, our names, our names are written into the roll call of heaven, into the register of eternal life. And we don't deserve to be there. Our names don't deserve to be written in there. We are there by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, John, who was the last apostle, he's describing the new creation, the eternal home of God, the place where all of his people will rest with him forever, the, the, the world that we all want. And this is what he says in chapter 21, verse 27. It'll come up on the screen. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Folks, that is why we need a new name. That's why we need a new identity, because our nature is one which is detestable. It is one which, which every day engages in falsehood. Our nature is one which is unclean. It's a nature of sin. And so we can't come in. Our names do not belong in the Lamb's book of life. And so everyone can come to Christ. But really, our second point is this. Everyone needs to come to Christ. Because something needs to change. Our name needs to change. Our identity needs to change in order for us to find eternal life in order for our names to be written in that book in that register in that heavenly roll call at the end of our passage in verse 19 mark is going through a list of names and we're going to come to what those names are in a moment but the last name that he mentions it's an important name mark goes through the names and then in verse 19 he says and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, who betrayed Jesus. Judas was with Jesus here in this encounter, and Mark tells us that Judas went on to betray Jesus. And Judas is, Judas is like a, the anti-type of, of what a follower of Jesus should be like. You see, as you work through the gospel, we're going to see it revealed to us that Judas was enslaved to sin. Judas rejected Jesus. Judas did what was detestable and what was false. And in Acts chapter 1, after the ascension of Jesus, the disciples are choosing a new apostle to replace Judas. And this is what they say in Acts chapter 1, verses 24. They're they're, um, casting lots on who's going to take the place. And we'll see in a moment, it lands on, on Matthias. But they bring this prayer to God, and this is what they say, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two, the two that they were going to choose from, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. That could also be written like this. To go to his assigned place. 
Friends, that is one of the most chilling verses in the Bible. Judas rejected Jesus and the result was that he went to his assigned place. Which was not the eternal home of God. It was a place where he suffered for his own sin. If we read this right and we assume rightly what is happening here, we're talking about hell. This scripture from Acts chapter 1 speaks clearly to why we need a new name, folks. Why we need a new identity. Because no one whose nature is unclean or sinful, no one who does what is detestable, will find eternal life. And so we need to be made new. We need that new name. And that is exactly what Jesus does for all of those who put their faith in him. He makes us new. He gives us a new identity. So back in our passage in Mark, in Mark, at the start of the passage in chapter 3, the crowds are getting big. And they're getting that big that it's getting dangerous. And in verse 11 and, and 10, Jesus is healing. He's casting out demons. And in verse 12, like he's done before, he commands the unclean spirits. Keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anyone. Don't reveal who I am. It's not, it's not the time for that yet. But, but where does spread them? And in verse 9, it's getting on the verge of being a stampede. And so Jesus says to his disciples to get a boat ready for him, to take him away from the crowds. And we might expect, okay, Jesus just wants a bit of respite. He wants to get away from the crowd so he can just settle things down, so he can get a bit of peace, so he can just withdraw from the ministry for a little bit, get to a place of safety. But actually what you see is Jesus, Jesus doesn't slow down. Instead, he takes a side step to do something immensely important. In verse 13, he takes his disciples, and Mark tells us that he takes his disciples up a mountain. Now remember, all the details that Mark shares, they're not incidental, so just... Just keep that in mind. Jesus takes his disciples up a mountain and he sets 12 of them apart and he names them as apostles and he renames some of them. And what he's doing is he's creating in them a new identity. And this is significant, folks, because what we see Jesus do here with the apostles is reflected in the lives of everyone who comes to Jesus and puts their faith in him. He makes us new. He gives us a new identity, a new name. And just so we're clear, folks, Mark names the 12 apostles. Jesus brings these 12 apostles. He calls 12 of them out. And just so we're clear, they are the apostles, full stop. Okay? There have only ever been 12 or 13 apostles if you bring the apostle Paul into them. So the 12 that we see named here, minus Judas, and then Bring Matthias in, who is the one who got chosen in Acts chapter 1. Besides these 12 men and, and Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles, there have been and there will be no more apostles, capital A. An apostle is a, a man who was an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection. An apostle is a man who was commissioned by God with authority from God to speak on behalf of Jesus and to write Jesus' teachings on behalf of them which were revealed to those men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we have those words in our Bible here. And so when the last apostle died, which was John, no more apostles came after him. And no more apostolic writings came after him. There is nothing more to add to the Bible. 
And now there is still an apostolic ministry, okay? Small a apostolic ministry. We're going to see that as we unpack the passage, but there are no more capital A apostles. So if you turn on the telly and there's a man telling you that he is an apostle and that he's got some fresh revelation from the Lord, some new word from the Lord, he hasn't. He's not an apostle. He's a fool. He's a clown. And I urge you to turn the telly off and to pray for his soul. These are the apostles. These are those anointed by God, set apart from God, to bring God's revelation to us. And Jesus takes these men in verse 14 up the mountain. And Mark says, Jesus appoints them and he names them. We see him give new names. And so this is the third thing that I want us to see this afternoon. We receive a new name in Christ. Jesus calls these men apostles, which literally means sent ones. And then he goes on to rename some of the individuals. So in verse 16, he renames Simon. He says that Simon's new name is going to be Peter, Cephas. It means rock. In verse 17, James and John, he he renames them Bonerges. I'm going to say it like that. It could be anything, but Bonerges means sons of thunder. Guys, that's a great name for a boy, by the way. If you're having a baby boy, bear that in mind. Sons of thunder. Why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus give them new names? Why doesn't he just keep Simon as Simon and James and John as James and John? Well, in the first century, names held a lot of significance. Your name communicated something about your identity. It communicated something about your, your, your status and your value. And it wasn't uncommon that if you went through a significant change in your life, you would get a new name. So if you were a slave and you were freed from being a slave, you were given a new name. The name of our church, Liberty or Liberty, is the new name that you would be given as a slave. If you went through a big life change like that, you would get a new name. Names were significant, and it's the same today. Names communicate something about us, don't they? They, they, they reveal something about our identity. And just think about, in the world, think about how many millions of pounds are spent by businesses creating the name for their new business or renaming their business. Think about Facebook changing to Meta and probably how many millions of dollars they spent on changing that or Twitter changing to X. And we're all still saying Twitter and what a waste of millions of pounds that was to change to X. And think about how celebrities carefully choose their names to shape their identity. What about this one? Michael Ebenezer Quadjo Amari Awuo Jr. Anyone know who that is? Stormzy. Yeah, and we can see why he probably changed his name. It's a bit of a mouthful. But Stormzy kind of says something. It carries something. It's a little bit different to that, that long name. It reveals something of his identity. What about this one for those of you who are a little bit older? Marion Michael Morrison. Anyone know that one? John Wayne. The cowboy, John Wayne, okay? Now, back in the day, cowboys weren't called Marion. Some of them might be today, but that wasn't the case back then. And John, John Wayne changed his name so that, that he could portray something, something particular about his identity that just didn't quite work with Marion Morrison. Names shape us. They say a lot about who we are. But it's interesting, folks. Ultimately, our influence in trying to shape our identity, it, it hits a ceiling. It only goes so far. Like we can hope and we can wish and we can plan to be someone or to be something. 
But our power to enforce that only goes so far because we don't have the power to create. We don't have the power to create things like that. When I was younger, um, I'm one of four children, my mum and dad would often drop us off at an elderly couple's house in church. And they would drop us off and they would come back. I don't know what they were doing, but they'd babysit us for an hour or two. And this was an interesting couple. They argued all the time. Like they were just grumpy. Grumpy old man and grumpy old woman. And they would just be at each other all the time. And they'd be telling us four kids off all the time. Don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't do that. And it was just like, it wasn't a pleasant experience being babysat by these people. And we were going in out of their house. And this was the time when, um, you know, when people used to, like everyone has a house number, but some people would swap their house number for a name. Okay. We have a bit of gravitas, a bit of status if our house has got a name rather than a number. And this was the generation when people did that. And we would walk in and out of the house and there was a name for this house as we walk in, in and out. And I asked my dad one time, dad, what does that mean? Because it was written in a different language. And the name of the house was Shalom. <laughs> now, if you know a bit of Hebrew, you know what that means. My dad turned to me and said, with a smile on his face, son, it means peace. And it was the least peaceful house that you could be in. It wasn't peaceful at all. See, folks, we can give something or give someone a name in the grand hopes that they become who we say they are. But really, our power to reshape, our power to, 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 to form someone's identity is limited. But that is not the case with Jesus. It's not the case with Jesus. Think back to creation. Think back to how Jesus literally speaks things into existence from nothing. He speaks light, and there was light. He speaks the stars into existence, and the stars come into existence. He speaks the seas and the land and and vegetation, and animals, and humanity, and all of them obey his command, and they come into existence because God has creative power in his naming. When he says something is, it is. This is great from Tim Keller. It'll come up on the screen here. Tim Keller says this. When we name, we describe the nature of the thing we're naming. When God names, he determines the nature of the thing he names. You get what he's saying? Okay, we can wish, we can hope, we can really try our best to make this thing be what we want it to be. But really, we can't. We haven't got the power. We haven't got the creative influence. But Jesus does. When he determines the nature of something, it becomes that thing. In fact, if you look down at the passage there, when Jesus, when we read here, Mark says that Jesus appointed 12. That word appointed there, it's a word that is usually used for an artist or a a sculptor. I get that word mixed up with sculpture. A sculptor. Someone who makes things. And actually the, the root of that word is the word form. So imagine a sculptor sculpturing something. He's forming his creation. He's making his creation. And that word form that we read here when he forms his disciples is the same word that we see back in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 when God forms creation. When he forms Adam out of the dust. What is Jesus doing here in Mark chapter 3 verse 14? He is reforming, recreating these men. He is giving them a, a new identity. 
And this whole interaction on the mountain, folks, it is indicative of what the Lord Jesus Christ does in the lives of everyone who comes to him by faith. He reforms us. He recreates us. He gives us a new identity through the finished work of the cross. He deals with our unclean nature that keeps us out of the Lamb's book of life. He deals with our sinfulness. He pays the penalty for all of the detestable and all of the false things that we have done. And in his resurrection, we are given a new identity. We're given a new name and our name is one that is in Christ. That's who we are. Then we hear that from Paul in Romans 3 at the start of our time together. We are those who are in Christ. That is our identity. And it cannot be taken away from us. God is who we say that he says we are. And so folks, when he says, you are a son of God, that's who you are. When he says to you, you are a daughter of God, that's who you are. You are in his family and nothing can remove you from his family. When he says you are redeemed, you are redeemed. He has bought you in and he will not sell you back. When he says that you are free, you are freed. And Satan will come and he'll say, oh, no, no, no. Sin is so strong. It will keep you. It will hold you. You No, when Jesus says, I have freed you from the shackles of sin, you are free to walk away from it whenever you want by the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Bible says to you, you are a new creation, that's who you are. The old has gone. You are a new creation when he says, you are alive in me. You are alive in Christ. That's who you are. You are dead to sin. You are alive in Christ. When the Bible says you are saved, you are saved. There's nothing more you need to do. There's no more work you need to contribute. You are saved. Full stop. When the Bible says there is no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for those who are In Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. There is no judgment for you. There is no punishment coming towards you. When the Bible says you are blameless, you are blameless. That is who you are. The Father looks at you. He sees you in Christ and he sees no fault in you. He sees no defect in you. He sees no sin in you. You are homeless. When the Bible's not homeless... What was I going to say then? I don't know what I was going to say. When the Bible says that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Amen. No one can take your salvation from you. And you know what seals it? The blood of Christ. There's nothing more powerful than that, folks. When the Bible says that you are forgiven, you are forgiven. You don't need to keep coming asking for forgiveness. You're forgiven. Past, present and future. All your sins are forgiven. When God says, I love you, he loves you. And the Father says, you're accepted, you're accepted. Not on our terms. On his terms. He says, you are accepted. You're welcome into my family. And the Bible says, you're a saint. That's who you are. A saint, a holy one. And the Bible says you've been set free from slavery to sin. You've been set free. When the Bible says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. (laughs) And it's ours. It's who we are. We're blessed. And Jesus says you're a co-heir with me. (laughs) It's not like you get a bit. Jesus says all I have is yours. 
You are a co-heir with Christ. God says that. And that's who you are. That is the identity. (laughs) Amen, Alina. That is the identity that Jesus gives to everyone who comes to him. And puts their faith in him. If that's not you this afternoon, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Come to Jesus. He's so worth it. Receive salvation in his name. Find your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And listen, Jesus doesn't have to give you a new identity. It's not like he's got this register that God God the Father gives him and says, all right, you know, read out this list. It's all these people. These are the people that I want in. Now look down at verse 13. Look down at what we read here. Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those, underline that next phrase, he desired. And they came to him. Jesus doesn't have to bring you in. He doesn't have to give you a new identity. He doesn't have to give you a name. He desires you. He wants you. He wills that you will be found in him. And I know most of us here this afternoon are already Christians. And so brothers and sisters, here's what you need to believe. The identity that has been given to you, it cannot be undone. It cannot be taken away from you. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. And no sin, no circumstance, no doubt can take that away. You are who he says you are. And remember, it's God who creates, not us. So what he says is, is. And we have no business trying to correct him. We have no business coming to God and saying, yeah, but what about this? Or what about this thing that I've done? No, if he says this is who you are, then that is who you are. And you know, in some countries, when it comes to, to election day, to try and get around voter fraud, what they do is you'll go to the, the, the uh, polling station and um, as you go in and you collect your voting card, you have to put your finger on an, on an ink pad. And what you get is some what they call indelible ink on your finger. And what it means is that if you come and try and pretend to be someone else and to vote on their behalf, you can't because when you walk in, you have to show your finger. You have to show that, well, I haven't voted yet or I, I have voted already. This, this ink is indelible and it's given uh, that name because it doesn't come off. Like at least for two weeks, like probably up to four weeks, you have this mark on your finger. It does not Come off. Well, our identity in Christ is not removable. It is the eternal, indelible ink that is marked on us. The Bible says this we have redemption in Christ. We are brought in through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is that mark on us, the indelible mark on us, an eternal, indelible mark that will not fade, that says to us and says to the enemies of God, We are His. Forever and ever and ever and ever. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. You are who he says you are. Don't question that. A good question that we can ask though is this. What does it look like to be who he says that we are? And here's where we land this afternoon. I think what we see here is that we are who God says we are but we grow into who he says we are. We grow into our new name in Christ. Christ. (coughs) Think about Simon here. 
Simon gets the new name, the name we all wish that we were given, Rock. All right, that's a cool. He gets this new name, Peter Rock. That's who Jesus says he is. But if you know anything about Peter's story, you know that he's not the most rocky of people. Or maybe he is, depending on how you, how you kind of turn that phrase. He's not kind of a rock right from the start, is he? Okay, think about Peter on that night when Jesus is betrayed. Think about Peter as he's warming himself by the fire and he denies Jesus three times. That's not very rocky. Or think about Jesus as he's capitulating to, to the Jewish converts in Galatia and effectively being a racist in the midst of the church. That's not very rocky. But he grows into being who God says he is. See, in our passage, Jesus doesn't just give these guys a new identity. He shows them how they're going to grow into it. I think we see three things here. That we grow into our identity in Christ through service, in community, and with Christ. We grow into our identity in Christ through service, in community, and with Christ. So firstly, through serving. In verse 14, Jesus sends the 12 out. And remember, apostles mean sent ones. And so they get sent out. And they get sent out in verse 14 to do two things, to preach and to cast out demons. Now, these guys are apostles, remember. We're not apostles. But we are given the same commission to bring God's healing to the world in word and deed, just like these men. And that has everything to do with our identity. Because the revealing of our identity is done through our serving of others. Let me say that again. The revealing of our identity, us being in Christ, is revealed through us serving others. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself. What does he mean by that? Pour yourself out for others. And as you do, you will joyfully reveal who you are. I was having a conversation with a brother from Liberty this week. And we were just catching up for coffee. And there's lots of struggle and difficulty in his life. And in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulty that he's facing, he is faithfully and quietly serving this body with the love of Christ. And he said to me, I kind of paraphrase our conversation. He said, as I'm serving, I'm learning who I am in Christ. I'm discovering the gifts that he's given me. Which I wouldn't be able to do if I just sat back here and, and just read my Bible or turned up at church. And it's giving me so much joy. Brothers and sisters, if you want to grow in your identity in Christ, serve. Serve in word and deed. And listen, don't find uh, or wait to find a ministry role or a title in church. Just open your eyes. And maybe you could pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, just show me where you want me to serve your people. I can imagine if we came in those doors each Sunday afternoon and prayed that prayer. If we just looked around the room and just simply prayed, Holy Spirit, who do you want me to serve this afternoon? Who do you want me to come alongside? I'm willing to lose myself, to find myself as I serve this body, so show me. How can I serve? Who can I serve? We grow into our identity through serving and we grow into our, our identity with community. 
Jesus takes the disciples up the mountain and he calls 12 of them to be apostles. That number's important. He doesn't call 10. He doesn't call 11. He doesn't call 13. He calls 12. Remember I said before, just kind of take a note of of the mountain. Take a note of the 12. And I, I told you to do that because Jesus is deliberately taking us somewhere See, back in the Old Testament, when God was forming a new nation, he came to to Moses and he said to Moses to go up a mountain. And to go up onto that mountain, and when he was on that mountain, he was instructed by God to name 12 tribes. You see the similarity? Jesus goes up the mountain And he names 12. Moses goes up the mountain and he names 12. Jesus is saying here, I'm creating a new people here. I'm creating a new community, just like Moses did back then. I'm doing it now, but this one's going to endure. This one's going to last. And notice, Jesus doesn't take them away one by one. He doesn't take Peter away and say, okay, this is what I want you to do, okay? And then sends him off. And then he comes comes to Simon and he's like, okay, Simon, this is what I want you to do. And then, no, he doesn't go one by one. He comes to them together. And he says, okay, this is what it means to be my people. This is what I want you to do. And he sends them away. That's because we grow into our identity in the context of community. In the community of God's people. That's what Jesus is establishing here. And part of the reason that we grow in the context of community is because often we don't really know who we are until someone says, this is who you are. You know, there was someone uh, this week who unfortunately... Um, had a bit of an encounter with a a fixed object while they were driving in their car. And uh, this fixed object left a a dent, a big dent, and uh, a large kind of streak of the bus's paint on the side of the car. And the reason that this person um, encountered this fixed object and left a dent in this car is because this fixed object was in this person's blind spot. They couldn't see it. Folks, we all have blind spots. All of us have blind spots in our character and in our conduct. And do you know why they're called blind spots? Because we can't see them. But someone else can. And so if you want to grow into our identity in Christ, if you want to become the people that he says that we are, then folks, we need to be around people who will show that to us. Because if we don't have a context where there are people who we trust and love that are prepared to speak the truth and love over us and a people who are willing to shine the light of the glory of the gospel into the darkness of our hearts if we're not intentionally putting ourselves into spaces and places with people that we can openly confess of our sins with people who we can struggle with together with people who are going to confront us with people who are going to encourage us into the mission of God then we are going to struggle to grow into who we are so can I encourage you step in step into this body Engage with the community of God's people. Join a gospel community if you're not in one already. If you're in one, engage with your discipleship group. Get alongside someone who's isolated, who is disconnected. Encourage them to come into the body. Walk with them. Help them to become who God says that they already are. We grow into our identity through serving in community. And lastly, and we we have to land here. We grow into our identity in Christ. We cannot do without him. Verse 14, just look down at that verse again with me. I love this. 
Mark says, he, Jesus, appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might, can we just read that together? So that they might be with him. So that they might be with him. They're sent out to to preach. They're sent out to cast out demons. But Jesus, first and foremost, calls them to be with him. We don't graduate from Jesus, folks. We don't move on from the gospel. He is our hope and our stay. And we grow into the identity he has given us by being with him. So don't get caught up in doing things in Christ's name and serving in Christ's name. Don't get caught up in in being in a community that has Christ's name while all the while you are neglecting Christ himself. You know, in Luke chapter 10, which is the parallel passage to Mark chapter 3 here, Jesus sends the apostles out and and the apostles come, come back from casting out demons and preaching and they're absolutely buzzing. Like they're buzzing and they say to Jesus, Jesus, you should have seen it. You should have seen what we did. We were casting out demons everywhere and they were just flying out of people. And Jesus comes to the apostles and he says, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Friends, there is nothing sweeter than Jesus. And there is nothing greater that we need than the gospel. We grow into our identity in Christ. So serve, yes. Engage in this body, yes. But most importantly this week, brothers and sisters, bury yourself in Christ. And some of us, that's going to look like just coming and talking to him. Just praying. Speaking to him. Some of us haven't heard him speak to us through his word for a long time. Bury yourself in his word this week. And it might just be with one verse. Maybe you come to Mark's gospel again and just take one verse and meditate on it all week. And just ask the spirit to lead you to Christ. As you hear for him and his word. And all of us now, all of God's people now, we have an opportunity to bury ourselves in Christ as we come to this meal. We're going to break bread together. And as we do that, this is a chance for us just to come close to the gospel again. To remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. To bury ourselves in him. You know, back in Exodus chapter 32, when Moses is up the mountain. And God calls him to, to name the tribe 12, the 12 tribes of, of Israel. When he, he brings that new community together. Moses is up on the mountain and Moses just has a profound realisation of the sinfulness of God's people. And he says to the Lord this, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please block me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Moses realises that God's people are so sinful. And Moses doesn't want them to lose out on on being part of God's people. He does not want them to lose out from being in the book of life, in that eternal roll call. So up on the hill, Moses comes before God and he says, take me. Take my life. 
so that your people can come in, so that their names can be written in the book of life. Take my life away. And the Lord doesn't. Because Moses was a sinner as well. But then Jesus on the hill, he says, take my life. Take my life so that their names can be written in the Lamb's book of life. And the Father says yes. And on the cross, Jesus' body is broken. And his life is given so that our names can be written in the book of life. On the cross, Jesus is cut off so that we can be brought in. On the cross, he is condemned in our place so that our names could be found on that roll call of life. And if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because of Jesus' perfect life, because of his death on the cross, because of his resurrection from the grave, because of his ascension, there is a day when, when we all enter into the eternal home of God fully confident that our names are in the book. And it will be as if Jesus himself was standing at the front of his people with that book, calling out our names. Matty, I'm here, Lord. What a saviour. What a brother. What a Lord. You know, in the Old Testament, the high priest would go into the holy place, and as he went in, he would be clothed in the finest of clothes. And on his breastplate, there would be jewels and, and gold and, and just this finely embossed tunic. And on his breastplate, were the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And the high priest would come into the presence of God, bearing the names of God's people on his heart. We're going to sing now, and as we sing, folks, I encourage all of you, if you put your faith in Jesus, come up and take this meal. As you take it, come fully confident that you are in. You are in Christ. You have a new identity. And right now, As the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in the presence of God, he bears your name. And you know what the Bible says? He's not ashamed to call you for him to be called your brother. He's not ashamed to bear your name. And it is the blood of Jesus that seals our pardon and that brings us into that place.